Welcome to the Taylor and Jen podcast. Mornings with Taylor and Jen. Now I'm starting to second guess this decision. Life 107.1. We thought it would be fun to talk about bugs. You want to talk about bugs? Let's talk about bugs. Now I'm starting to second guess this decision. I know. I'm getting the creepy crawlies. I mean, I'm the bug dispatcher in my house, but they still... They weird me out sometimes, I've got to say. But I'm the person in my house that has to take care of them. And we want to know about the person in yours in charge of the bugs. We were at home, and there was the largest spider I've ever seen in my life inside our home. And I literally could not smash it with a shoe. Like, I felt like it still would be too large to smash oh, with a shoe. my. And so, so we're calling every child down. I've got lots of kiddos, and we're, we're calling each one down. And no one, would, no one would attempt to do it. And finally, my son, who is, we think he's a bug expert, just gets this spider and puts it in his hand. <laughs> And, yep, yep, and he goes and walks it outside like a pro. He put it in his hand? He is not a big kid. It was bigger than his hand. I'm serious. It it was cute. Oh, Taylor, Taylor, come back, Taylor. No. Taylor just ran out of the studio. No. (laughs) Yeah. Sometimes in your home, the designated bug dispatcher is is an obvious person. Mm -hmm. It's who you think it would be. And then sometimes it's not. I don't know what kind of a bug it was, but it had my five-year-old grandson trapped in his bedroom. Oh. And so he's screaming at this uh, bug. Yep. And the four-year-old granddaughter comes in and smashes it and says, dead bug now. (laughs) Kind of our go-to thing if somebody kills a bug, it's dead bug now. We're sorry, but this morning has been a little creepy. You know, I should have known as we started talking about dispatching bugs that we would uh, learn less about the bug dispatchers and more about the most harrowing dispatching experiences. <laughs> Didn't know tarantulas could migrate until today. Oh, uh, yeah. That's, that's that nightmare fuel. To, that's good to know. But Urbano wants to help us out here. Hopefully, just be able to share some hope for the arachnophobic people. <laughs> yes. Thank you. You know, I was the worst, most horrible arachnophobia, like, I was just filled with fear. To the point where one night, I even had to go wake up my pregnant wife at the time (laughs) to kill a spider for me. (laughs) Well, now, I don't know, it was just a switch, uh, almost instantly, and I don't know when it happened, but Lately, I've been more accepting of the spiders around me that live in my home. I know they're doing a good thing, killing other bugs. I don't know what it is, but if I can do it, other people can do it, too. Now you're (laughs) living in harmony with the spiders? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, whenever they're around, I kind of do that heavenly song. Oh, that whole thing. Oh, yeah. Oh, so, th- so that's, that's how the much in peace I am. We start singing to the spiders, and then we won't be afraid <laughs> yeah. of them anymore. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That was a really practical piece of advice. I appreciate it. <laughs> You've heard that the couple that prays together stays together? Uh-huh. How about the couple that scares each other? <laughs> about this time of year, a little plastic spider makes his appearance in our home, my husband and I, and we just, you know, plant it in different <laughs> <laughs> inconspicuous places to scare each other in their drawer and their other toothbrush, whatever. This goes on for a while. And one time I stuck it in his checkbook. <laughs> so he took it for the day and when he got he got to the bank and he was standing at the teller station and he flipped open his checkbook and that spider popped out and the teller screamed and almost tripped over backwards. And he just shook his head. He said, I'm sorry. That's my wife. That's my wife. I guess I got to be a little bit more 
<laughs> discreet where I put it. But Come on to the table. Mm-hmm. Have yourself a cup of coffee. But tell us how you have it, because we want to know a study by science, you know, science. They say that they know all about you by the way you drink your coffee. And if you tell us how you take your coffee, we'll tell you about you. How do you take your coffee, Joe? Well, I like it really dark. You cannot see light through it when you hold it up. <laughs> but then you got to put enough half and half in it to, uh, you know, make it drinkable. So. Okay, but not sweet. You just put half and half. No sweet. Yeah, no no sugar, no sweetness. I would say this puts you in the category, uh, scientifically, the term for it is well-balanced. You are a well-balanced wow. person, Joe. Oh, I can live with that. You yeah. can? My uh, buddies I go fishing with, they don't think so. They think that coffee is... Uh, Terrible. They <laughs> they pour water in it and thin it out. And <laughs> in fact, they try to beat me to the coffee pot, so they make it, and then I sneak in and put more coffee in there. Sometimes we like science. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we don't. Mostly when we don't understand it. But this morning we understand. Because we love coffee, and this science is about coffee and you. It was a bunch of scientific studies on what your preference for coffee says about your personality. It does. And so we've just been diagnosing people according to science. How do you drink your coffee? I have to have candy coffee in the morning. Candy Candy coffee. coffee. Explain. That is what I call it. It's where you drink more creamer in your coffee than you drink coffee. Okay. (laughs) Okay, science. Science did a study on people who drink extra sweet coffee and it found that people like you are friendly (gasps) oh well there you go are you friendly (laughs) i am i'm actually tracked down actually kind of stalked a bank robber but didn't know he was a bank robber what and i yeah i didn't know he was a bank robber and (laughs) had something to say and it was nice words and i was making a joke and he was walking away and i Wanted him to hear me. Okay, you literally engaged with a person that was robbing a bank? Yeah. <laughs> well, he was, no, he wasn't actively robbing oh, a bank. Oh, he wasn't time. in the process okay. of it. I didn't know until I got home and saw the news, so then I did call the police. <laughs> <laughs> My granddaughter was about 14, 15 at the time, and she said, Grandma, have you never heard of Stranger Danger? Coffee. Mm. See? That's that's the reaction. Coffee got, always gets a response like that. Got my thermos right over there. So when you see that there's a study about coffee, you're like, ooh, gotta well, learn I'm going to read it. about this. Well, this study says if you tell us how you drink your coffee, we'll tell you about you. Brad, how do you drink your coffee? Black and strong. Black, Black and, and strong. strong. Well, Brad. Brad. According to science... This is going to hurt, Brad. Lots of, lots of hard-studied science. Um, they say you are antisocial. Well, I mean, if that gets people to leave me alone until I've had my coffee, I'm fine with that. <laughs> so you're saying the science is right on this one. I mean, I am an operator, so I'm in my cab all day, so I am kind of antisocial. Well, there you go. But you called us. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'll talk to anybody. Just not giving my coffee. Brad, if I was standing on the side of the cab and I said, dude, I really need that coffee. I need it right now. You wouldn't give it to me? Uh, probably not. <laughs> wow. You're out of luck, Jen. You'd have better luck taking it without asking. <laughs> 
It's just science, Jen. Mm-hmm. How many times have you said that to me? Can't we, help it. It's just science, Jen. Listen, I, you know, science doesn't have feelings for <laughs> any of us. It just does its sciencey thing, mm-hmm. and we can only respond to it. Yep. And this science survey is about how you drink your coffee. If you tell us how you drink your coffee, we're going to tell you what science says about you. How are you drinking your coffee today, D? I'm drinking it hot and strong. So is it is it black? Is it black? You betcha. You betcha. Okay. All right. It's gotta be strong. Gotta be strong. Well, well, well otherwise it's tea. Oh, so I hear yeah. You. Okay. So strong and black, no creamer, no sugar. What does that say about D, Taylor? Yeah. I'm looking through my science spreadsheet and uh, science says you are antisocial. <laughs> That's I, too funny. That's, hey, that that's science. I, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. D, is that is that right? Do you think that that properly identifies you? Are you antisocial? No, my husband would just crack up if he heard that one. <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah, he always knows that we're going to be the last out of church, and yeah. Oh, that's too funny. Sometimes it takes a little creativity. <laughs> I'm talking about parenting. Because kids are good at being kids. Sienna, have you been creatively parented? When I was 12, 13-ish, I came home from school one day to find a sign taped to my bedroom door that said I was evicted. Whoa! (laughs) And that I was not allowed to enter my room unless I was cleaning it. (laughs) (laughs) Unless you were cleaning. (laughs) How dirty was it that you, you pushed your mother to that limit? You know? <laughs> so what did you do? Did the eviction notice work? It did. Well, and once I entered, I wasn't allowed to leave. That became the other part. Once I entered to clean, I was not allowed to leave until it was clean. That's not how eviction works. <laughs> but I remember even having the argument with her that I was hungry and I wanted to eat lunch. So then finish your room. <laughs> We talk about creative parenting, but for many parents, it's just old school parenting. (laughs) My father has always told my brothers and I that if we came with an owner's manual, we'd have been a whole lot easier to raise. (laughs) Yeah, they don't include those at the hospital. Why not? (laughs) He says it's definitely a trial and error. (laughs) (laughs) How did he do, Kathy? He didn't do too bad. We thought we had the meanest parents in the whole wide world. Yeah. And now that we're adults and my brothers have children, they went, you know what? You didn't do so bad. We're glad you raised us the way you did. Kind of an age-old story, isn't it? Mm Mm-hmm. Parents versus kids when it comes to parenting them to clean their rooms. And if you have a creative parenting method, let us know about it. When my sons were growing up, I employed the sign message. I would put signs on their rooms because we would do blitzkrieg at (laughs) 7 o'clock so they would know that I would be coming in their rooms with a vacuum. (laughs) So they had warnings that I was entering the room and anything I found on the floor that would get in the way of the vacuum would be going on the bed. Oh, my word. Blitzkrieg. And then I would vacuum. And we accomplished what my goal was. <laughs> what your goal was. I respected their privacy, but at the same time, I knew there would be nothing growing in the carpet. <laughs> so. When you have an immovable object, mm. you must become creative to move it. 
such as parenting sometimes <laughs> when you want your children to do something that they don't want to do, you have to use creative parenting. Hey, I want to call and tell you our secret into helping the kids do their job. Okay. Basically, just one they really hated doing, that was dishes. We had seven kids, and they traded off every week. And I go to bed early because I get up early. And if the dishes were not done but when I got up, their punishment was I had to wake them up at 3.45 in the morning. <laughs> and they finished the dishes at 3.45. Oh, and they do man. not get to go back to bed. They have to stay up. I'm guessing they did not forget to do the dishes very often after that. Well, there was one that was very stubborn, and he actually got stuck with dishes for a 30-day streak. Whoa! He did it after that, not one time. <laughs> the little munchkins are such a big part of your life, and it's a big deal when your kiddo loses a tooth. I have a friend named Angie who's got a friend named Rob, okay? So this is Angie's friend, Rob. I don't know Rob. I just know Angie, and Angie told me this story. (laughs) Rob is a dad. Okay. And he's a dad that saves his kiddos' baby teeth. Okay. All right? So he saves them up, saves them up, saves them up, saves them up until they leave the house. And then you know what he does with them? Does he throw them away finally? No, he gives them their baby teeth when they leave. What are they supposed to do with those? I don't know. I don't know. He just gives them... Congratulations, son. It's been great. Here, by the way, are all your baby teeth. What are they? Are they in like a Ziploc baggie? <laughs> or a satin like pull string? Probably a trinket box. A trinket. I don't know. Trinket but box with, like, here's your okay. old teeth. That is weird. I'm not weird for saving the baby teeth, but he's weird for giving his kids the baby teeth when they move out of his house. I think we can both agree on Rob. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of like what every parent does when the kids leave the home. It's like, hey, I've been holding on to all this stuff of yours. Take it to your apartment. I'm telling you, seriously, at the time, it just seems like the thing to do. Really? To save. Save your kids' teeth. Save their teeth. Of all the 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 things that fall off of your child, you're going to save their teeth. Well, yeah. (laughs) Right. Okay. It it doesn't seem weird at the time. Uh But then when you start thinking about it a lot, maybe it does seem a little strange. What about you, Polly? I was a weird mother who kept her children's teeth, each one as it fell out, identifying the child and the date that it fell out and where the tooth came from. Oh. Wow. Do I know where they are? No. (laughs) (laughs) But my granddaughter has taken losing teeth to a new level. She does not want to give them to the tooth fairy, so she is keeping them in her own trinket box. (laughs) Does the Tooth Fairy still leave her a little gift? No. No? No. No, the Tooth Fairy doesn't get the tooth. The kid doesn't get a a gift. She's six. She's six. (laughs) So much is explained by those two words. She's six. Okay. And she wants her own teeth. Thank you very much. Stop stealing my teeth, Fairy. I kind of honestly thought that this was just something that you did. When your child's tooth fell out, you saved it. I mean, I don't save them anywhere specific, obviously. I found one this morning in a trinket box when I was looking for a safety pin. But you saved them. I mean, that's that's not weird, is it? When I was like, I don't know, maybe 28, I had not had children yet. And I was helping my mom clean her bedroom. I found a bag of teeth. <laughs> and I was 
so appalled. I was like, what is this? And there were five kids in my family, and I think she kept like four from each of us. Oh, my goodness. There were like 20 teeth in this bag, and I made a commitment right then silently to never do that. <laughs> Ever. Call it weird, but I'm just saying. When you're holding that itty bitty little baby tooth out of your little one's mm-hmm. itty bitty little mouth, it just seems coarse and terrible to just throw it away. But it also seems kind of weird to save it in a trinket box. Oh, come on. And keep it around so you can find it while you're looking for safety pins. Um, maybe a little. Are you one of those weird people, D? I'm not weird. Okay, maybe I am a little bit. But I kept all of my daughter's teeth. Really? I still have them. And she's 39 years old. <laughs> okay, so you didn't give them back to her. Well, I was going to, but she misplaced her baby book. And I didn't want her to misplace her teeth, too. So I just kept those. <laughs> not losing them twice. You know, she already lost them out of her mouth. <laughs> going to lose them again. One guy, so pro-government just all into the government that his family and friends were like, we can't even with you. <laughs> we, we, I mean, we're actually kind of tired of you because yeah. he was so pro-government to the point where he decided to just go work with the government. Then there was the other guy. He was part of a literally at times militant anti-government group, like so anti-government, the same government that the other guy was pro-government. These two men, Two completely different passions in life. Could have even called them enemies. In today's climate, we definitely would have, wouldn't we? Yeah. They actually laid aside those differences to follow one common cause. And that common cause was Jesus. I had never put this together, but someone pointed out, okay, Matthew, we all know, was a tax collector. And that was, you know, in general, you know, you're being occupied by the Romans. Mm -hmm. Here's somebody collecting all the money for the people who were like basically enslaving you. And then you have Simon, who was called the Zealot. And the Zealots were a like militant overthrow the government by any means necessary group. Mm -hmm. And Jesus invites both of them to follow him and they do it. And they don't just do it. They laid aside their differences. They walked alongside each other for the next three years and they grew to love each other because they had one important mission that was more important than all of their previous passions. And that to me, there are so many things that I try to use to divide myself from other people that culture tries to use to divide us. But it's this reminder that when you have Jesus in common He is more powerful than any of your differences. When I was growing up in Sunday school, you know, the flannel boards. I love the flannel boards. And they've got the cartoon characters. I never really thought about, like, they had things that they cared about passionately. And not all of them just agreed about the same thing. And it it just blows my mind thinking about Jesus inviting into his inner circle a tax collector who is super pro government and a zealot who is, like, basically trying to overthrow the government. And somehow they all united for a common purpose. Taylor, we say constantly right here all the time that God doesn't waste anything. And we also say he doesn't do anything by accident. Yeah. Do you think that maybe he chose Matthew and Simon 
to polar opposites from different sides of the aisle. Do you think that maybe he did that for a reason and a reason that is true today? To put it in today's vernacular, this is like an Occupy Wall Streeter and a Tea Party Patriot working together side by side like bros to support one mission these two guys worked side by side. They sat in the boat with Jesus when he calmed the storm. I mean, think about it. They watched him be terrorized by the Pharisees, doubted yeah. by some people. They watched him heal people side by side. These two gentlemen from either <laughs> side of the aisle. And they put those differences aside and they stood behind Jesus. Sadly, chances are you've been part of some sort of conflict in church. It is very difficult to be unified nowadays. Maybe it was over something as simple as the color of the carpet (laughs) or how early to start the first service. Ah, Those were the days. (laughs) Maybe it's about something a lot more serious. Mm -hmm. But when God tells us to be unified, he doesn't just tell us. He gives us examples. Oh, yeah. I want Taylor. Tell me the story again. I love it. I love when Taylor tells this story because it's a true biblical account that I never thought of this way. Tell us the story of the Church of Philippi. It's one of the very first churches we read about in the Bible. And the first member was a woman named Lydia. And she wasn't even from Philippi. She uh, she migrated there from what's kind of modern day Turkey. Mm-hmm. And she became a very successful businesswoman. So you've got an immigrant businesswoman as the first member of this church in Philippi. Well, Paul and Silas show up, and while they're ministering there in Philippi, they meet a woman who is possessed by a demon, enslaved to some very abusive and exploitative men. And Paul and Silas cast the demon out of her. And rescue her. And rescue her out of slavery. She becomes member number two of this church. Now, member three comes in a really unexpected place. Because as the authorities get really mad at Paul and Silas for messing with their slave system, they throw them in jail. And when they're in jail and God miraculously breaks them out, they come across a Roman jailer. He says, what must I do to be saved? You guys have something really special going on. And so you have this church that's formed by an immigrant businesswoman, a freed slave girl, and a blue-collar government worker that used to be keeping people in jail. I love it! And if they could find a way to unite, yes. that's so inspiring to me. Have you ever like kicked over an ant pile, and you start seeing ants, and then you realize the ants are everywhere? The more you see them, the more you see them? Yeah. And that, to me, is kind of what unity's like in the Bible. Huh? Like Once you see your first instance of God championing unity... It starts popping up everywhere and you realize how much he cares about it. And it even shows up in the ministry of Jesus. My brother showed this to me. You start in John 3 and you get this kind of sequence where Jesus encounters something, talks to his disciples, encounters something, talks to his disciples. And the people he encounters are so different, but he sees all of them. So it starts with Nicodemus, who is like a high ranking Pharisee official. And he like meets him in the dead of night because he's embarrassed to be seen with Jesus. Right. The next person is a Samaritan woman. He meets at a well. Yeah. And this is a woman who's been marginalized and looked down on because of her race. Mm. Next, Jesus bumps into this high-ranking Roman official whose son is sick. Wow, yeah. He's covered almost all the bases. And then he goes to a pool and meets a disabled man. (sighs) So the religious elite, the ethnic minority, the politically powerful, and the physically disabled and disadvantaged 
are all seen and loved and cared for by the King of Kings. The Taylor and Jen Podcast is a product of Northwestern Media, a ministry of the University of Northwestern St. Paul. You can hear more from Taylor and Jen weekday mornings online at life1071.com or on the Life 107.1 app.